0: The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. So, Lord our God, we bow before thee and lift up our minds and hearts to thee in adoration and thanksgiving. Thou alone at God, eternally triune. We draw near to thee only because thou hast condescended and revealed thyself to us, and we now call thee our Father through the merit of thy Son, who lived and died and rose again for us, and by the ministry of thy Spirit, who gathers us in him before thee and in him to life with thee forever and ever. We thank thee for whom thou art, for what thou hast done, for what thou hast done for us, and for what thou wilt yet do. Help us to be thankful, to be obedient, and to rejoice with anticipation of the coming glory. For Jesus' sake, amen. Be seated, please. We're going to consider in a moment the closing verses of Isaiah 24, but in connection with that, I want to read some verses from Revelation 21 and 22. Let us hear the word of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. May God bless to us his word. Uh, the closing verses of Isaiah chapter 24 anticipates what we have read. If you would turn to that portion, I want to draw your attention to a few details in it. Uh, two of these most briefly. First of all, you will see in Isaiah 24:21 that we have the words on that day. This preface is repeated several times in the three chapters that follow. And that indicates, of course, that what is in view is none other than the messianic age. Uh, The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth and his personal return to earth at the end of time. But the fact that it's found here as well as in the chapters that follow indicate uh, that these closing verses are to be connected with what follows. Uh, The focus of what remains in this section in the prophecy of Isaiah is on that single great reality, the reign of God and the Lamb. And then secondly, you'll see that in verse 24, there is a reference to Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And that again uh, is picked up in the chapters that follow. And you have a reference to a mountain and a city and to Jerusalem by name at the end of chapter 27. So these closing verses of Isaiah 24 are intimately linked with what follow. And Mount Zion and Jerusalem, of course, God's earthly dwelling place uh, with his people in terms of throne and in terms of temple anticipates his presence manifested and known in heaven itself by those who through the merit of Christ gather before him. But what I want you to focus on particularly this morning is the closing word Of this little section at the end of Isaiah 24. Unfortunately, in our translations, uh, it isn't the word with which the Hebrew text itself concludes. Here in the English Standard Version, we have His glory will be before His elders. In the Hebrew text, what we have is before its or His elders' glory. Before its elders' glory. I want us to think about that closing word for a few moments. Of course, translators have to do something with that in the English of smooth and intelligible English. And what they do is either to supply some form of the verb to be before its elders will be glory, turn it round, and glory will be before its elders, or else instead of the noun glory, uh, to use the adverb gloriously, And relate that, of course, to the verb reign. The Lord of hosts will reign gloriously. And either way is accurate. Uh, Each um, rendering uh, has its usefulness and its point and is appropriate. But I think there is another way of rendering the closing words of this um, verse in Isaiah 24. And you'll find it referred to in several recent commentaries in Isaiah. Namely, that after the word glory, uh, an exclamation mark should, as it were, be understood. And before its elders, glory, exclamation mark. And I like that. That attracts me. After all, yes, you're already smiling. Uh, After all, what we have here is the end of the world. The coming of Jehovah the introduction of the final state of things. Can there be any more fitting term to describe that in the book of God than the term glory? And in order to prove how acceptable this understanding is, you'll find it in the Psalms. Psalm 29 verse 9 that describes a storm coming off the Mediterranean, breaking on the promised land, From the north to the south, engulfing the land. And then, and in his temple, everything says glory. And the result of that is the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And following the introduction of the final state of things, strength and peace will be the characteristic possessions of the people of God forever and ever. Now what is glory? A term we often use. It's good to pause now and again and ask ourselves what do we mean by these household terms that are so familiar to us? And when we come across this word, of course, we have to think of revelation or disclosure. Glory has to do with that. A working definition, I suggest to you, is this, someone revealed by something. So whenever you come across the word glory in the Old Testament or the New Testament, ask yourself, whose glory? And ask yourself, what is being revealed and being disclosed? And answering those questions, you'll be able to identify what it is that we should lay to heart, and what it is that we should live by in the light of whatever statement we read. Now, the term glory and its synonyms, honor, uh, brilliance, splendor, uh, believe it or not, is used of man as well as God, Uh, a man's wealth or his rank or even his gray hair, part of his glory. But, of course, we're interested in what glory means in connection with God because it's his glory that is being spoken of here. The words in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, spring immediately to mind, I'm sure. And we know that what of God is revealed in creation, though it is part of his glory, is not identical in terms of its extent with what he chooses to reveal of himself in other ways, and particularly, of course, in the gospel and climactically and consummately in heaven itself. Here we don't just have the glory of God in Isaiah twenty four twenty one. We don't even just have the glory of the Lord, Jehovah, the covenant redeemer, the one who hears his people, who remembers his covenant, who comes down to them in their need and bondage, delivers them, brings them out, brings them in. All these verbs sum up what that divine name connotes. Here we not only have God, nor the Lord, but the Lord of hosts, the one who has the armies of heaven at his beck and call, so that his purposes cannot miscarry, nor fail to come to the fullest completion. It occurs to me now that perhaps there is some connection with what is before us in the end of Genesis 1, the Lord looked on all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And here we have that which is glory. Redemption, and particularly the consummation of it, exceeds creation before the fall. Well, now, then what is revealed here? It is obviously something in connection with the rain that is set up. The Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And we've already seen in verse 14 that it's the majesty of the Lord. His sovereign majesty that is praised, acknowledged, rejoiced in by this international company of those who survive the outpouring of his wrath in judgment at the end of the world. It's that what they behold and what they sing about, the majesty of the Lord, when the Lord raises himself up, as it were, to his full height, and stands head and shoulders and more over all rule, authority, and power, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That's what's in view here. And that's why his majesty is related to three, to three groups of other powers or rulers. In verse 21, you see, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. They're supernatural and human rulers. Secondly, the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed set in the firmament in order to rule day and night. And then finally, and before the elders, the representatives of his people, glory. So here is the Lord's supremacy being asserted, manifested, expressed with regard to these different groups of powers and authorities. And of course, in differing ways. First of all then, there is the host of heaven in heaven, or the hosts of heaven on high, and the kings of the earth on the earth. Two realms of reality referred to, on high and on the earth, and different kinds of rulers then, or powers, superhuman and human. Each allocated its own sphere, but both visited with punishment. In fact, they are gathered together for punishment. There's something that makes them fit for that, which is, of course, sin itself. And for the pride that characterizes them all, and particularly as those with authority on earth, become imbued with the spirit of the beast and Babylon and exalt themselves not only, o- not only over the Lord's people but raise themselves up in defiance and arrogance against God himself. They rule but they are going to be brought low because the Lord alone will be exalted In that day. That is what is going to happen. That's what we pray for. When we say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. That's what we pray for, we long for, we anticipate, and we will not be disappointed. It will happen. And that judgment is not annihilation. But then there's this second thing which refers to the moon and the sun, the the lesser and the greater light to rule night and day. What happens when the Lord himself returns? Their light will be dim. Their light will be extinguished in view of the greater light, the dawn of glory. We read it from Revelation 21, no night, the city has no need of the light of the sun or the light of the moon. And those lights of course were to rule day and night and with their disappearance goes time. The obliteration of the human calendar and time zones. It's one eternal now, one endless present. When the Lord himself returns And they're going into abeyance is the heralding, of course, of a new heavens and a new earth. And the tabernacle, temple, garden, city, imagery that all combines in order to describe that state of glory. Contrary rule put down, lesser rule abased. What about the elders? And before his elders, glory. Isaiah is going back to Exodus 24, isn't he? And the covenant made at Sinai. Only Moses and Aaron and her to come near. Not the elders. But God comes down and not only meets with Moses on his own. And with Aaron and her, but also the elders. And yet, they too see God. And eat and drink in his presence. And they are not consumed. Each and every one of his people will see his face. His name will be in their foreheads. They will be his. He will be theirs. Contrary rule will be judged. Lesser rule will be overruled. But each and every one of the Lord's people will be elevated. And exalted. Brought into communion with him. Eating and drinking at the marriage supper of the Lamb. In fellowship with him. Not to start the whole process again. But forever. Let us pray. We give thee thanks, O Lord our God. For such a great and glorious future before thy people. And we recall that it was because thy dear son stood out in the open under thy wrath for each and every one of them, that they now behold thy face in measure through him and will throughout endless days. Receive our thanks, fill our hearts with joy and peace in believing. Remind us whose we are and whom we are to serve. But our citizenship is not here below, but in heaven itself. And there are places reserved for us each one. By our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank thee that he is there in advance and will not rest until each and every one is brought. Through him to thee, and peace reigns in holiness forever. Receive our thanks, grant thy blessing, pardon our sins, for Jesus' sake. Amen.